Well, that was the opening music to Rafifi, directed by... Jules Dassan. Jules Dassan, yes. And it was released in 1956 and is a French film. And it's part of our four film festival of movies that were made outside of the United States. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews. And you can find us on Apple Podcast at class. Just search for Classic Movie Reviews, or in Facebook, search for ClassicMovieReviews.net, and that's all one word. Or just go to our website at www.ClassicMovieReviews.net. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording from cloudy, drizzly North Bend today. And I'm Bob Johnson, uh, back from one of our trips. Uh, I'm here in Los Angeles, where. Our weather is now becoming like summer. We're in the 90s today, so I want to welcome everyone back. Uh, and while I was gone, I, I uh, was able to listen to uh, the uh, podcast that you and Haley did. I really enjoyed that. It was it was interesting to listen while you were while you were doing a commentary uh, with the film in the background. It reminded me of that television show from the 80s where the, the guy and the two puppets would be commenting on the films. Mystery Science Theater 3000, yes. Yes, we may have come up on a new way to do podcasts. <laughs> well, it's been done a lot before. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was, it was fun to listen to. Yeah. Well, this movie, Rafifi, Rafifi, the one thing about French movies that challenges my understanding of the French language, for sure. Yeah, I picked up on about every third word. Um, but yeah, no, I don't. I'm not fluent enough to be able to not have the subtitles on. Me, me neither. But but was what was interesting to me in this wonderful movie is after about 20 minutes of the film, the subtitles were sort of not necessary. You could almost follow it just from the way it was laid out and and scripted and and shot and all that. It was it's a marvelous film. It's fun. It's interesting when. I watch movies that have subtitles. The subtitles sort of fade into the background at some point, and then I'm not really realizing that I'm reading them, which is pretty cool. But this movie was so well-directed and acted that you could almost get away with not even having them on because you could tell what was happening. I know, and uh, as it turned out, a lot of what was happening wasn't good. No, it didn't. <laughs> at least for the people that <laughs> that got into trouble. You know, it's <clears throat> with. Well, I was going to say with subtitles uh, on Swedish films, like uh, My Life as a Dog, it's easier for me to understand the language because of, I guess, the Swedish in my background. But some of the uh, some of the subtitles are vital to the to the movie for me because I'm not that familiar with the languages. Well, it gives you the it gives you enough of the details. Mm-hmm. Like you can follow the general arc of the film without them, but I think you'll miss some of the nuances and. Um, but yeah, I thought it was it was a really interesting movie. I thought it felt really modern. I, I felt with if you updated the cars and some of a little a few of the outfits that they were wearing that you could it could have come out like last year. It really could. And uh, the first time I saw it near the end of the film, I spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out what kind of car he was driving that convertible near the end of the film when he has a small boy in the car. And I think it's like a 1953 or 54 Pontiac convertible. Uh, it was a cool car. The other car that I thought was super cool was when they were actually uh, doing the heist and they had that car parked out in the alleyway. 
That, yes. that was a cool looking car too. I don't know what that was, but it was very stylish. Some background on the film. It was, uh, re- it says it was released in, uh, on April 13th of 1955. And that may have been released in France and then released later in the U S. Um, it was uh, distributed by Path, Path, RKO Radio Pictures, I think, owned Path or Path uh, Films or bought them later. It's in my mind they kind of get locked together with RKO. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did uh, pretty well. Uh, one of the things that uh, we talked about before starting the podcast today is to sort of see a parallel film. I believe from 1950 or 51, early 1950s, Asphalt Jungle with Sterling Hayden. I think it was directed by John Huston. When you watch that film after watching this one, you'll see a lot of similarity. I don't know if one if this one was patterned after that or not, but uh, that's another. I almost think we should have done the two sort of a parallel like we've done with a couple of other films. Uh, the director on this, Jules Dassan, had quite a career. First of all, he lived to be 96, which in itself is a major feat. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, he moved to France where he made 25 films after he was blacklisted during the uh, uh, early 50s with the, uh, the investigations by the House on american Activities Commission uh, Committee. He was named by another director as being a member of the Communist Party, and that pretty much tanked his uh, career in the U.S. Uh, and then, so he went to, but before he left the U.S., he made some films that which are excellent, like uh, The Canterville Ghost from 1944, Brute Force 1949 with Burt Lancaster, which is a really brutal look at uh, prison life, and then one that's a favorite of mine, a police procedural called The Naked City from 1948. And the lead, and one of the leads in it is kindly Barry Fitzgerald, <laughs> who, who, who most of the time was playing a Catholic priest in a Bing Crosby fu- film. But in this one, he's a detective. So, uh, oh, The Asphalt Jungle was made in 1950. I just looked it up. So a wonderful director, went on for an excellent career. I don't believe... He came back to the U.S., but he made some other films that were distributed in the 1960s that did well. And he was also in the film as an actor, uh, as Cesar. Yeah, he was the safecracker, right? Yeah, the Italian safecracker. Isn't he the one that, that kind of spilled the story to the other bad guys? Oh, there's always there's always one yeah. in these movies. There's always one who just can't follow the I plan. Know. You knew it. You knew it, too, the moment that he went back. Oh gosh, we'll get we'll get to so that. So anyway, that's some background on the film and uh where to start. I guess it's it's pretty it's pretty straightforward, really. You know what I kept thinking of? I kept thinking of uh, Ocean's 11 when I was watching it. I'll bet there are a lot of films that are patterned after this. And and who would you suggest, he asked, as the lead in the modern <laughs> version of this film? Yes, I think they should remake this movie and have Liam Neeson play the lead. Who is in this movie played by Jean Surveys? Yeah, Liam. Liam would be good. I think Liam Neeson would be awesome, and I could totally see him being that character. Uh, he, there's there's two or three other candidates right now. I'm not drawing a, a name for them, but uh, yeah, he would be really good. 
maybe Bruce Willis. I don't. Is he even making? Well, I guess he's making movies here and there. I don't know if he's making. I don't know. I, it's got to be someone who's got a real edge yeah. to them, you know, like. Uh, Watch out! Here I come. Well, and what and what really cinched it for me was the ending when he goes to uh, take some revenge on those people. Oh my god! <laughs> yes, <laughs> he does. Oh, Keanu Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves could do it. Oh yeah, Keanu Reeves. He's too busy making all those other movies. Yeah, he's super. He's busy. got a new one out, man. Uh, there's a there's also the guy that was in uh, the Clarence Tarantino movie. Uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, of oh, the Quentin Quentin Tarantino, yeah, Samuel, uh, Qu- yeah, Quentin. Oh, Tarantino. that'd be uh, good. He would be good. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. But but I digress. Yeah. Uh, and then there are a couple of uh, women that could do that role in recent movies that we've watched. Oh, totally. Yeah, we could. Yeah, so we, let's let's we could cast it right let's now. Work on, let's work on that after the podcast. We'll get that scripted yeah. shape. And all we have to do is is get a translation of this script into English, and we're off we go. No problem. Well, anyway, it, it's pretty straightforward in terms of the plot, and 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 it's kind of like, uh, sort of like a Shakespearean play where the 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 actors the characters are doomed. Yeah. From the very beginning, foreboding it, yeah. From the from the very be- yes, yeah, and just the way they look at each other when they're sitting around that card table. Well, it kind of opens up with um, Jean Servais' character Tony Stefano returning from prison. He he got out early, but he doesn't look good. You know, he looks he looks like prison was pretty rough on him, and they all smoke. Did you notice? Pretty much everybody in the movie smoked so much so that I had to open a window here. <laughs> It's just like, <laughs> it like holy smoke! There's a lot of films like that. I watched another one about a week ago uh, on Turner Classic Movies. I swear, everybody in that room—it was so cloudy, you, you couldn't breathe. It's terrible. Yeah, you feel like it's on your clothes after you watch the movie. Oh. Um, but he—he's coming back, and and he—it's like almost the first thing he does is start planning their next their next heist, you know. And he's got a friend, and I think it was. Um, Mario, who thinks it would be pretty easy to steal some jewels from the window of this uh, this uh, jewelry store, Mappin and Webb Limited, uh, and he declines because he's like, "Well, that's doesn't sound that interesting to me." And then he thinks about it some more and says, "Well, rather than just do something easy like you know, break a window and steal some jewels from the window, why don't we just break into this really well guarded?" shop and steal all the jewels (laughs) yeah what could go wrong with this what could possibly go wrong with this and it i love i love the this kind of movie this is one of my favorite kinds of movies when they're doing the planning and they're like doing the 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 dry run-throughs of how they're going to actually break into this place and defeat the security alarm and that one thing that was really not modern about this movie was all of the very mechanical aspects of the break-in and the alarm system was very mechanical yeah. and there was no com- no computers no electronics you know it was very uh, of its time in that way well the the movies that that are on this theme are are almost endless <clears throat> another one that comes to mind is a gene hackman film called heist mm-hmm. and they're, they're going to steal all this i think gold bullion off of a off of a uh, charter jet but but the one that just keeps coming through to me every time I watch this movie is Sam Jaffe playing the lead in The Asphalt Jungle as the planner 
for that heist. Again, he gets out of prison, and right away he's planning that one. So they're, they're so closely paralleled. The other thing in this that I think would need to be updated in our in our redo uh, is uh, are the weapons. They need they, yeah. we need we need to get more machine guns and high volume ammunition. Oh, what was that movie with Val Kilmer where they did that heist in downtown Los Angeles? Oh, yes. Oh, um, uh, the Heat. The heat, yeah, the the, the, the gunfight that they have. Downtown. Oh, going down that, that street—that is so real. <laughs> Robert De Niro, yeah. uh, Al Pacino, a cast of many, many. Could have a scene like that in in the remake of this. Yeah, they decide they're gonna do this thing, but they've got to uh, recruit some other folks to help them, and so they've got the two the two main people, Jean Surveys' character Tony, and then Robert Manuel's character Mario go out and they recruit uh, Carl Mon- Moner's character, Joe, who is uh, kind of like a strong man. He's going to be the one who actually breaks through the wall and, yeah. and kind of the, the heavy guy, the muscle. He was a favorite of mine because he was a Swede. I'm thinking, wow. Yeah. Some of the, some of the relatives got in the film. And, it, and what I liked about his character, he was a real family man, which plays heavily into the ending of the film. Yeah, it does. Sadly, uh, it doesn't turn out well for him. Uh, you know, now now I'm wondering which one of them did spill the beans. Was it? No, it was definitely it was definitely the next guy that was played by the the director, okay. and his character was Cesar uh, because. He was kind of the ladies' man, right? And and I remember after the heist, and they're sort of trying to lay low. Tony says to Cesar, "says Now don't go to, uh, don't go out, don't go see any ladies. Oh. Just stay here, lay low." <laughs> yeah. And he and he kind of winks at him, like, "Okay, yeah, I'll stay here." But the, the next shot is of him with this woman who's hooked up with the kind of the rival gang. Tony might who are the, Tony might as well have been speaking to a scarecrow. Seriously, Jeez. they were definitely not c- communicating there. Because there's a rival gang, which is the Grutters, and I think there's three brothers. Uh, I'm not sure, but they're all related. They're all related and, somehow, and they're they're not nice people. Well, neither is the neither is the group of people that <laughs> <laughs> we're following that are doing the heist. Yeah. They're none of none of them are nice. The only nice people are kind of on the periphery of the movie, like the 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 girlfriends and the wife and, and the little boy. The, the little boy. The was... little boy. But I, you know what really got my attention? Like, f- one of the first things Tony does when he comes back is he goes and visits uh, his old girlfriend, Mato. Yes. That was, I was like, holy crap. Did I just see what I think I saw? Because he totally, like, beat her with a belt. And... I know. What a, what a different time it was for you. you that, that, yeah, that's a unforgettable scene. Would that scene have made it through in the United States, like with the the production code at that time? No, would they have cut that out. They, no. they could. They would have had to film it in a different way. And there's some of that in the Asphalt Jungle, but it's no, it's not, not that violent. No. So, so this film is so gritty to me, and the way that they like that scene, and then, but also just there's so much location shooting and outdoor shooting of the film. That I felt like I was actually in Paris in nineteen, you know, fifty-four. This film is so much better in the black and white cine- cinematography and filming than it would so have been much in, in Technicolor. Totally. Um, 
I had another thought on this. Oh, I was watching another film called The Battle for Alger, uh, Algiers, which is another French, no, it was an Italian film made about the Algerian-French War in the 1950s and early 60s. It looks so real, and none of it was. It was all staged. But oh, the, way, the way they filmed it, if we were going to do another uh, foreign film, that would be a, would be a good one. It, it's amazing. It's a two-hour film. Every bit of that film looks like it really actually was taken uh, place as a documentary. And none of, not, one, wow. not one foot of film was a documentary. They filmed it uh, in, I think, Morocco or oh, Algeria. Okay. I'm not sure where they filmed it, but it's unbelievable. I'd never seen anything that was as well done from the 1950s involving that large a crowd and military and no, no special effects like they are today. I, I digress, but it's uh, talk about gritty. It's, it's amazing. And they reconstructed some of the damage and all that looked so real and their tanks and everything. Anyway, it's as gritty. Well, it's probably grittier than this film. And the other thing about this film too, the the directing was so well done. Like there were, there was always something happening in the frame. It reminded me, and I know that this probably is compared a lot to like an Alfred Hitchcock movie, because there was a lot of similar feelings that I had as I was watching it of of like motion in the scene and things kind of like in the background, giving you that sense of depth. Yes, and and life. And there was one scene where. It must have been in the fall because like the leaves were coming off of the trees and and it just sort of like gave you this really cool mood of of uh, that sense of like winter's coming, you know, like something bad is about to happen. Yeah. And it, it just kind of very subtly gave you that feeling. Totally that way. And, and near the end of the film, when Tony has a little boy and he's driving back into the city in that convertible, there are different shots of the sky and the trees again that look of oncoming winter and in, in, and uh impending death and all that it reminded me again of the third man remember the third man we did yes that's where she's exactly. walking down that that lane that looks like it's 10 miles long and it's winter or fall and the trees go on forever it's the camera work in the cinematography on this is is top rate all the way oh it's, oh, it's amazing yeah so back to the plot a bit they 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 figure they they've got their crew together which i love that and i and i remember <laughs> saying about I, I love that scene in movies where they get the crew together i talked about that during the yokai monsters podcast and so now they're going to practice breaking in and they've this shop has this really advanced alarm system for the time <laughs> <laughs> but you know you can't cut the you can't cut the power you can't blow the circuit you can't vibrate the windows or the floor or the walls you know it's 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 all these things that they have to overcome and then he finally figures out well if we spray foam into the inside of the box it'll make the bell so that it's not so loud and then we can like disarm it at that point so that was pretty cool and then and then there was a whole almost 35 minutes of film with almost no sound when they're breaking into the yes. into the shop that was noted in a lot of the write-ups that i read yeah i watched it and i had to go back and i said that was at least a half an hour so i went back to the first p frame of when they started doing that to the last and yeah it was about 35 minutes it was so cool and it really made it feel real like you could feel the tension and they were sweating and you just thought at any moment they're you know they're gonna get found out 
but they don't. So everything up until that point of the movie when they when they actually break into the the safe and they're about ready to leave is like the perfect crime. Like they've totally nailed it up to that point. It's it's amazing. I keep coming back to the, the director. He <laughs> the budget on this was quite small for the time. Uh, it's uh, in 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 the time it was two hundred thousand dollars in nineteen fifty. The director Dasan uh, took eight thousand dollars, and for that he did the writing, the directing, and the acting. Oh, and and he refused he refused to do any shooting or any filming if the sunlight was out, so that it added to this mood of impending dread. Oh, yeah, because it uh, always was either at night or it was overcast. I did notice overcast. that, actually. And and one other thing on it, because he is excellent. It uh, won the uh, Best Director Award at the 1955 Cannes Film Festival. It deserved it. It deserved it. And the music, too. Like uh, We talked about the cinematography, which was excellent, and the music was just perfect. And the lack of music like we talked about the 30 plus minutes of no music or, or dialogue really you know no mu- um, no music in some of these films is is so it adds so much to the film here it does that because you just focus in on the action and it's more effective too if the music that is playing when it's playing is is really spot on you know really adds to the drama really adds to the story and in this case it really does so when it when it's not there, you kind of you kind of notice it, and it just adds to the overall effect. Oh man! And the music the music was by Philippe Girard. Yep. Oh, I've got it. No, that was or maybe that was a song that was performed. I've got the music. Boy, my French. This is for all of you listeners that are are French speakers. I apologize. I have the music by Georges Arendt. A-U-R-I-C. Okay. So I think I think that's right. And I think this what I'm looking at is the song La Rafifi. Oh, Do you remember that scene yes. where she does the dance? Yes. And there's that really cool silhouette behind her. Yeah. I think that's who I think who that's who did that song. But you're right, the movie soundtrack was by the other person. If we do many more foreign films, I'm going to have to go back to uh, language class. I tell you, we need to we need to get a consultant to help us. Yes, <laughs> who speaks? We need we need Tony. He speaks yeah. like what seventeen different languages. <laughs> um, well, b- back to the plot, and again, I'm jumping all around. Um, but they, but they finally pull the heist, and even that's suspenseful because the police are kind of around and uh, they're suspicious, but they they don't quite connect what's going on. And and then they get away with all this, and uh, 
they start to they they start to think about what they're going to do with it. And our friend, who gets them into trouble, wants to spend some right away. He can't wait. Well, he he's the one who they're all about to leave. They're climbing up the rope, and then he decides that he's going to go back and grab this really expensive diamond ring yes oh and and he sticks it in his pocket and and you know you know the moment he does it he says oh that's it right there they should have had a sign that was held in it's gonna screw them over (laughs) and sure enough and then you know then we get the scene where they're kind of like okay back at the house and they're kind of lay low and tony tells uh cesar you know don't go out don't go womanizing just stay here and then, like, literally almost the next scene, he's in bed with the woman who is hooked up with the, the grutter yeah. folks. The, the, oh, and, God. and he gives her this ring, and it's it's like a million-dollar ring, and she thinks it's fake. So she goes in to show, I think it's uh, Louis Grutter, who's the, the main. It might have been Remy, but I, it was one of those two. And he's like, holy crap this is a real diamond ring where'd you get this but he doesn't tell her that he's just kind of playing it off as like no big deal and then they connect the dots to say oh well that guy must have been involved with this heist of 240 million francs of uh jewelry which is which is all over the news everybody's hearing it on the news the newspaper yeah and the police are offering a 10 million franc uh reward to uh you know any any leads that lead to the people who did this heist and then everything just goes downhill from there for these guys <laughs> it does and and, and in, in a hurry yeah. and they and they start the the uh, trio of really bad guys as opposed to the just the bad guys i think the first hostage they take is the uh the womanizing right guy right yeah cesar yeah and they they get they get out of him that um, mario is connected to this as well so then they go to Mario's house and they're trying to get Mario to give up uh, Tony because they know that Mario's connected to Tony. So all the dots are f- connecting here. But Mario doesn't won't won't crack. But his his girlfriend kind of does crack a bit. Yeah. And then she decides, no, I'm not going to crack. And then there's a really brutal scene where they like slit his throat and then kill her. Yeah. So that was again another scene that I thought probably wouldn't have made it through the. Um, production code in the united states uh not in the 1950s they would have they would have filmed it a different way it would have depended upon the creativity of the director as they could how they could get around it and, and then uh caesar is is uh beaten up and tied up to that post mm-hmm. somewhere in the back of that club that was a cool looking scene too when when tony finds him and and, and i was just reading here the scene where Tony regretfully chooses to kill Cesar for his betrayal of the thieves' code of silence was filmed as an allusion to how Dasan and others felt after finding their contemporaries had named them before the House Un-American Activities Committee. In other words, he was showing how he felt about what happened to him in the U.S. by yeah. one of the other directors that betrayed him. I could totally see that. <laughs> just, that, that sometimes you wonder, did, did this all really go through the mind of these people? Or was it some writer later on that decided, this makes sense? I don't know. No, I think it, I don't know. I mean, that that one, I know sometimes it's a stretch, but that one actually does kind of fit because just imagine how you would feel if somebody that you thought was your friend basically 
is pressured or feels the need to like name you in this. But the way he did that, it was just so cold in in the film. And I think Cesar knew that that's that. I mean, he knew that he, that was coming. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about Tony's character and how he even at the beginning of the film doesn't look like he's doing well physically. And I'm thinking that he's discovered or found out that he has cancer and a short time to live, and he wants one last payout before he dies. Because he just, he doesn't look well throughout the whole film. There's scenes like when he's about ready, he's, they're doing the heist and he's in the jewelry store there and he's about ready to spray the foam into the, the alarm box and he starts coughing and you think, oh crap, yeah. oh crap, you know, and then... Later, after they're back at the hideout, and he's coughing. And, and it's just like little hints that he's definitely very, very sick. As much as all those people smoked, I'm surprised they didn't all end up with lung cancer. Yeah, Jeez. well, they might they have. might have, yeah. So we, we, the, the film now is kind of progressing into Act 3, where Tony sets out to uh, even the score. Well, not, not, quite. not yet totally, because... Uh, it's Tony and Joe left, and I think that they're still thinking that they can fence this jewelry and then take the money and split it between the oh, two of them. Oh, that's right, and they move out to that house. Yeah, and then but then Remy, the uh, the Grutter folks uh, gang, uh, capture Joe's uh, wife and and son, and hold hold the son hostage. And then that's when it, I think, enters Act Three, where Tony's like, "Nope, I'm not gonna. This isn't gonna fly with me. That's right. I'm gonna." And and Tony has a great speech with Joe about you can't give in to these guys. They're gonna kill your son no matter what. We have to go save your son. Like that's the only option. C'est à ma part que je pensais. Ni la tienne, ni les nôtres. Rien. Rien. Mon pognon est à moi, non Sois pas dingue, Joe. Tu n'auras pas le gosse contre le pognon. Au contraire, plus ils attendront l'argent, plus le petit a des chances de vivre. Parce qu'ils le tueront. Oui. Un môme, c'est un témoin, ça reconnaît. Il a cinq ans. À cinq ans, on a des yeux et des oreilles. Une langue aussi. Non, crois-moi, Joe. La seule chance de récupérer le petit, la voilà. La seule. T'as peut-être raison. Fais gaffe à Louise. Le coup est dur pour elle. Je vais t'envoyer la femme de Fredo pour s'en occuper. So they, then it then it really does turn into a a, a, a battle royal. <clears throat> Yeah, because then Tony's like on the hunt and he's talking to all of his good friends and trying to find out where they are. And so finally he talks to Matto and convinces her to, to, to give up kind of where their hideout's at. And then he goes out there and this is where I thought of Liam Neeson. You know, it's like a Taken movie. <laughs> <laughs> there, nobody was taken in that. I mean, they were all killed. And, and yeah. he gets wounded. But he has just enough energy and strength left to... Uh, to grab up the uh, the little boy, 
And there's a weird, there's like a weird disconnect in there too, where, and this was great because it's, it's all based on the technology of the time. Cause like today, if you had a cell phone, Tony could have texted Joe and said, Joe, I've got your son. Like, don't, don't give him the money, you know, don't give Grutter the money. But because of the delay of Tony being able to tell Joe that he got his son, Joe has already like given, gone out to the, the villa and giving them the money. And of course he gets killed. Yeah. And then Tony goes back, Tony finds out, goes back out to the villa, he gets shot, but then isn't wounded badly enough to kill him, so then he actually ends up taking out the rest of the, the grutters. And, and, and has just enough strength to drive back into the city in this super gray, ominous looking day and sky. And that music that they oh. played, and, and this this went on for like five minutes. Yeah, it, it was. was so kind of almost like psychedelic in a way. It was so abstract and, and weird. And, but so appropriate because he's dying at that point, and, and he's just trying to hang on long enough to get the little boy back to his mom. happened to the uh, the uh, suitcase of jewels was that in the car no it, they, they they actually gave that to the fencer and I think that got that was like disappeared okay and then all they were all they were left with was the the, the suitcase of money I, th I think okay I, I, I got a lot I got a little confused about that the film is not confusing the uh, I am <laughs> but the, uh, well there's a lot there's a lot that's packed into the last 15 oh, 20 minutes of the movie and that little yeah. boy is just sort of like a three-year-old out in the, for a drive he has no clue what's going well, on well and i thought that the way that tony was driving it the little boy had no seatbelt on i thought maybe he was just gonna fly right out of the car <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of that was scary oh what a what a what a tremendous ending he pulls up about a half a block from where the little boy's mother is mm -hmm. and dies. Or is that a, is so that I mean, a, is that one of those alerts that we shouldn't give away? Oh, well, <clears throat> spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Although anybody watching this film from the beginning would think, Oh boy, this isn't going to end well at all for anybody. Yeah. I think, I think I like your idea that he found out that he was already terminally ill and that this was his last sort of like hurrah and it 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 really didn't matter that much to him that he was killed at the end you know like it, he just he just wanted to try to make it right for the little boy and yeah. his mom I, and very sad. I, I was thinking that you know like from the beginning of the movie to the end all of the main characters pretty much died <laughs> they do they do in in under two hours it's interesting i mean they they just should have gone to the beach instead it's cl it's classic. I think it's, it was it was uh, nominated by the National Board of Review for the best foreign film. Uh, yeah, and it, it, in other words, it was so well done for film noir. It's one of the very top rated films. Oh, I think it was. It's one of my favorite movies now. I can't believe I've never seen it up until now. I, I've definitely been missing out. And 
I'm going to for sure watch it a couple more times because I know that I missed stuff. And I, I just kind of want to go back and live in that world that they that they created on film. And the Fr- you know France, Paris of 1954, 55, is super interesting to look at. And just imagine living back in that time. My only, my only caution would be don't sign up to be a member of any crew involved in anything on the illegal front. Yeah, one, <laughs> one other quick note on a quote from the film. Uh, Joe's wife is kind of really ill because she's so upset about their son. And she says something to Joe along the lines of, you know, there was millions of little boys that grew up in poverty like you, and, and they didn't end up like you. They didn't end up in a gang like you, like a tough guy like you. But you know what I think? And I've always wanted to tell you this. You know what I think? They were the tough ones. Pourquoi me regardes-tu comme ça? C'est aussi mon gosse. Pourquoi m'en veux-tu? Je t'en veux pas, Jean. Il y a une chose que j'ai toujours eu envie de te dire, Jean. Il y a des gosses, des millions de gosses qui ont connu la misère, comme toi. Comment se fait-il? Quelle différence y a-t-il entre eux et toi? Pour que tu sois devenu un truand. And it was almost like saying, you know, joining up with this crew and becoming a gangster was kind of the easy way out. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is all the characters uh, are, are, are fully developed. I mean, there's no character caricatures, people that I can remember. They all seem to be real that, that that those people could actually exist. Agreed. Even the even like Caesar, who was kind of the playboy. Yeah. wasn't wasn't always the playboy. It wasn't always like it wasn't always a caricature of, of that. It was there was more depth and nuance to his to his character, which was great. And I agree. Like all the characters had that. The title of the film Rafifi, I looked up means means. Um, of let's see, of a rumble amongst men, uh, or another uh, definition comes out of uh, North Africa, uh, groups in constant conflict, and that certainly describes what goes on in this film. I like that of oh, for sure. a rumble amongst men. For sure, I mean that's a perfect title for this. <laughs> yes, nothing good happens. I give this film a ten. Clearly, I give it a. I also give it a ten. Yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. When when you uh, want to watch it again, uh, also give yourself a treat and watch the Asphalt Jungle, and you'll say, "Maybe oh I'll my watch gosh. that one first, and then watch this one again." <clears throat> and then we should definitely review the Asphalt Jungle coming up. So, coming up, we've got we've got another Zatoichi movie, which. I've watched a couple times and I have really mixed feelings about. And the reason that I chose it was that people have been saying that it's got one of the best sword fights in Japanese samurai movies. And so I want to get your opinion on that um, and see what you think. And then the last one is... um, Don't Look Now from Italy. Don't Look Now with Donald Sutherland, which is kind of a thriller slash ghost story set in set in venice and so i'm super interested to see what that looks like i've watched that movie that's that's a that's a dandy that's a dandy and donald sutherland is one of my favorite actors oh excited about that yeah 
Me too. And then after that, it's a series of four Bernard Herrmann movies, which we still need to pick out. (laughs) Oh, that's right. But we will figure that out in the next uh, couple episodes. And then we had talked about doing some James Dean films, maybe the three that he did, just doing those back to back. The biggies. And then uh, just a couple days ago, uh, Rip Torn died. And I was thinking, we've got to find a couple of Rip, Rip Torn movies. You remember him? Oh, remember yeah. him in the yeah. Men in Black, where he was, of course, the leader Zed. <laughs> yes, Zed. Yeah. Or in Defending Your Life, where he was the attorney for uh, one of the people that was defending his life after death. Uh, it's a, it's an endless, it's an endless inventory of films, isn't it? Well, lots to think about, and again, love this movie. That was our review of Rafifi. And coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt Johnson. And from Los Angeles, this is Bob Johnson wishing you all happy movie watching. In 41 minutes and 12 seconds. That's exactly what I had. We must have hit record at the same time.